0: This is Speaking of Writers, I'm Steve Richards. In this chilling supernatural tale based on true events, the president's late son haunts the first family, unraveling their hearts and minds and endangering... An already bitterly divided America on the brink of civil war. From internationally best-selling author Andrew Piper comes The Residence*, the perfect horror novel for an election year. Tragedy strikes in 1853 when President-elect Franklin Pierce is traveling with his family to D.C. In an instant, their train derails, violently flinging passengers about its cabins. The only fatality is that Pierce's 11-year-old son, Benny... Two months earlier, Franklin took the Electoral College in a landslide, and yet in one painful moment, the inauguration of America's 14th president is cast under a pall of grief, one that will metastasize into something malevolent as the heartbroken Pierce's move into the White House and begin to notice strange things, strange goings-on, unexplained noises from the walls and ceilings, voices that seem to echo out of time itself, and visions of spirits crushed under the weight of American history. Bitter with grief, First Lady Jane Pierce surrenders her political duties to a surrogate, her aunt Abigail Means, aching to reunite with her favorite son. She fills a grief room with Benny's belongings and invites noted spiritualists of the day, the Fox sisters, to the White House. But after an ill-fated seance, the barrier between good and evil is rent asunder. Something unspeakable invades. The only haunted house residents are not permitted to leave. Only by confronting the deaths of their grief and their darkest secrets can the president and Lady hoped to rid themselves in America from the curse that haunts the White House. Andrew Piper is the internationally bestselling author of The Demonologist, which won the International Thriller Writers Award for Best Hardcover Novel. His most recent novels include The Homecoming, The Only Child, and The Damned. Three of his novels, including The Residence, are in active development for television and feature film. Happy to have Andrew Piper join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Andrew, welcome to this program. Thanks for having me. So what led you to this story and to write this novel? Well, you know, I'd never heard of Franklin Pierce uh, before
1: I was Googling um, recreationally about haunted houses, and uh, that's how I stumbled on to the supernatural history of the White House. And then through that, I discovered Franklin's uh, first lady, Jane Pierce, and how she wrote letters. Um, after, as you've mentioned, uh, you know, losing all three of her children just months before uh, moving into the White House. She wrote letters to her most recently deceased son, Benny, pleading with him to return to her. And according to her letters, he did, not just as a uh, a spiritual comfort, but in material form. She talks about him being in the room and approaching the bed and, and holding her. And as soon as I read that, I thought, I have to write this novel.
0: Has the supernatural always interested you?
1: Always, yeah. I mean, you know, I I grew up reading. Uh, I think it's a lot of people did. You know, reading Stephen King and loving that kind of fiction. But I, now I see such a great potential in writing uh, supernatural fiction. You know, it, it's less really about the ghosts than about the characters. Who see the ghosts and why, and how it changes them, and how it reveals things in their character. So, for me, um, you know, horror fiction, yeah, it's scary and it can be, it's thrilling, it's meant to be, but I, I love the way that it, it sort of reaches in to reveal things about ourselves that maybe would otherwise be hidden in other kinds of fictional forms.
0: Chatting with internationally best-selling author Andrew Piper here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is called *The Residence*. What are the challenges, Andrew, of writing historical fiction?
1: Well, there's a few there's a number. Um, you know, primarily you have to get uh, you have to get the facts right to the extent that you present them as as the truth. So, in the case of *The Residence*, uh, you know, Franklin Pierce and Jane Pierce, of course, were real people. Franklin Pierce was a real president. Um, but then, from that basis, and from the basis of the loss of their children and Jane's uh, you know, reporting that she had seen her son returned from the dead. That's all true. From there, though, there's great leaps of, of, of uh, invention in the book. And so um, that is all permissible. It's not, uh, you know, you don't have to sort of forewarn the reader that, okay, this part's true, this part isn't, but there is a responsibility to um, not misrepresenting characters in a way that, uh, you know, it's just so, so distinct from the truth that you're doing harm to someone's even historical reputation so there's a lot of homework that has to be done and then there's just the writerly challenge of convincing the reader that what you're writing could be true that, it, that it's plausible and so a lot of that is in getting the right tone getting the people's voices right without sounding too you know, hokey or masterpiece theater-ish. You know, you have, you, you want you want their voices to sound modern without being implausible. So it's a, it's a balancing act in many respects.
0: You mentioned homework and doing your homework uh, for this, Andrew. What was your research process like?
1: Well, there was, for me, you know, I, I, there was a lot of just catching up on the fundamental, you know, general history of that time. So this is 1853 to 1857, it's, uh, you know, the, the lead up or the, the, the events that ultimately led to the Civil War are, are being uh, enacted or there's failures to act more precisely. Um, so there's there's the larger historical context. But for me, in this particular book, of equal importance was the cultural history of the time and specifically spiritualism, which was a very prevalent belief and practice at that time. So educated, wealthy um Americans were obsessed with communicating with the dead through seances, mediums uh Ouija boards, instruments of this kind and it wasn 't just a, it wasn 't viewed as a silly um or su- suspect side practice. this was taken quite seriously, and so that i sort of understanding that and um, treating the seriousness with which people of that time believed in. Um, you know, communications from beyond. That was really fascinating to me and very important for the, to make the book um, um, true, to, true to the people's beliefs at that time.
0: Yeah, and speaking of which, Andrew, these, the noted spiritualists I mentioned in the introduction, the Fox sisters, was that part true in, the, in, a, in a seance? Was that actually held?
1: Yes, there are historical indications that the Fox sisters were invited to the White House, most likely by Jane herself to conduct a seance, and there's some indication that this isn't proven in the historical record, but there's some indication that Franklin Pierce, the president, either was aware of it or attended himself. And interestingly, this was also true a couple of administrations later in Lincoln's time, when we do know, verifiably, that Mary Lincoln had uh, conducted seances in the the White House, in her case, trying to reach uh, Willie, the Lincoln's deceased son, the same age as Benny, and who died in the White House at that time. And then we jump ahead of a few more administrations in the Taft administration, when there were many accounts of people seeing uh, a ghoulish little boy, again, about 12 years old, who was terrorizing the people in the White House, so much so that Taft forbade any mention of this uh, entity that was referred to at the time as the thing. He said, no more talking about the thing. And so that fascinated me that, that what I was writing really is kind of an origin story for a presence that has been in the White House ever since 1853 and may still be there today.
0: Andrew, you mentioned you didn't know much about Franklin Pierce when he began this project. So what did you learn and what surprised you during the research about America's 14th president?
1: What fascinated me about Pierce was how he was, in a way, almost kind of an early version of a telegenic president. You know, 1853, of course, there was no television, but... He was someone who was celebrated for his appearance. He was, he was regarded as a very handsome figure by all. He was athletic. He had a good speaking voice. He looked the part of president, really in a way that wasn't matched by his accomplishments or capabilities. And he was vaulted into the position by the Democratic Party because they thought, again, this guy looks like a president. He looks like the right guy at the right time. And so I felt very sympathetic. Uh, in many respects, for, for Pierce. He was a, a man who was in over his head. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to please the people who believed in him. But I suspect that he didn't believe in himself as much as they believed in him. So he was put in a quite impossible position, and, and he was unable to do the right thing while in the White House. He, he was just a compromised president, but it was not the time for compromise. It was the time for, for action and, and difficult decisions all of which he was not capable of. So he was, a, again, an interesting figure, even though he's overlooked today, he's an interesting figure in, a, in the way that he foreshadowed future political leaders who perhaps were, you know, better regarded as personalities or, or, or people who looked good as opposed to uh, had the, you know, the right bearing that
0: I mentioned earlier in the introduction, too, that three of your novels, including this one, are in active development for television and feature film. How involved are you with those productions?
1: Well, it varies. You know, sometimes studios or or producers, uh, you know, want to just pay the writer an option fee and have them go away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And depending on the option fee, sometimes you're happy to do so. Um, In other cases, I'm more directly involved. So in the case of The Residents, we're developing it as a kind of a hybrid documentary, uh, documentary drama. So the historical aspects, the truth behind this ghost story, will be part of the storytelling, as well as the um, invented parts, the novel, the parts that are in the novel, um, where I kind of you know leap from fact and into fiction. That will be included in it as well. So if we were actually sort of in a fairly late stage of um, Developing the project, uh, so I hope to be able to talk more about it soon. But it's pretty exciting when something that uh, just a short couple of years ago was something you're making up alone in a room um, is getting close to being something we we could all see on television soon.
0: And what is next for you and your writing? I am moving now
1: into a new novel, um, and uh, so it's always a strange time because uh, writing a novel requires uh, you know. Um, levels of attention and so my wife always says when i'm between novels that she you know can't wait for me to start a new book because it's between books that i'm uh you know most anxious and walking around and and a bit of a a fog so i'm glad to say and i can tell her now that i've started a new book
0: and where can listeners connect with you online
1: Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Andrew Piper, and um, all of my handles and, and news and uh, contact and information can be found at my website, www.andrewpiper.com.
0: All right. The book is The Residence. The author is internationally bestselling author, Andrew Piper. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. And this is Speaking of Writers.